0: everybody and welcome to tracks the official avenge sevenfold podcast i am your host bees and of course we are here to talk all things life is but a dream the album is out now far and wide wherever you stream your music i'm sure you've lived it you've breathed it you've had to beat an internet troll to death with his own shoes about it because they've listened to it once and it's flown completely over their head we've lived the same experience it's out and so is all of the new merch for the record go and check that out at a7xworld.com joining us on today's special episode is two short-ish interviews about all things life is but a dream Matt is going to be here very soon and Joe Beresi producer of Of the record, evil Joe Beresi, no less, also going to be joining us on today's tracks. Go and check out the other episodes we've done about life is but a dream. We spoke to Wes Lang, who's the man behind the art that you'll have seen all over life is but a dream the package if you've got a vinyl copy of the record the art is absolutely spectacular at that size he also did the art for the tour merch that you can see or some of the art for the tour merch so all things westlang is on that episode we also spoke to Chris Hopewell the visionary director who made the video for nobody and also did the stage and our usual thing on tracks we delve into the back catalogue of Avenged Sevenfold one song at a time and tell you the stories, the songwriting, loads of exclusive things that you won't have heard before. And then on all things life is but a dream, we have already discussed Nobody. Go and check that out. There is an upcoming episode of Tracks about the tour, because of course the tour has started, the lads are on the road. I spoke to some of you in the queue at the forum in Inglewood, the Big LA kickoff of the Life Is But A Dream tour. I know they did some festivals, but this was the full production. We spoke about the VIP experiences. We're going to talk to the guys about being back on the road and bringing the Life Is But A Dream songs to life. That is on an episode coming up. But right here, right now, that is enough from me. I've been Bees. He is about to be Mr M Shadows, talking all things Life Is But A Dream. Joe Beresi coming up after this.
1: Can't you see? Life is but a dream anyway. So the dynamic with Joe is so cool because he's always open to hearing new artists, crazy things that we're showing him. Um, but he is such a gear head, like amps, plugins, compressors, doublers, tape machines, like all these, like imagine like this mad scientist sort of room. And the guy, I know he does this when we're not there. He's fixing things. He's trying things out. He's he's constantly exploring um, new sounds and new ways to do it and authentic ways to do it. Um, and I think, so when we bring him crazy ideas, he's always like, well, try doing that, but through 25 different ways, right? Whether it's a, a microphone that he got from Toys R Us with a red cup around it, which we did use on the record um, with a thing called the pig nose to a, you know, a CB radio that's going through a certain compressor through a tape machine through, but he's got all these sorts of things. So when you think about like this new school approach that we're going for, but also this sort of authentic, do it for real, do it, like get the real instruments. He's always kind of adding a twist to it. I think you hear it in all the records that he does. There's always like these sounds and tones or manipulations that you're kind of like, well, how did you do that? But he rarely, very rarely goes to pro tools to kind of manipulate. It's always really done with a pedal or some sort of gear. So he's a perfect guy for us because what we had to do on our side is say, okay, we think we know what we want, but Joe's going to go down a rabbit hole and let's let him do that. Because even if it's like three times out of 10, you will stumble upon something that if you didn't take the time to try it, you never would have found. And um, we find that extremely valuable. It's kind of this weird relationship where, yeah, we're pushing the limits, but he's also just a master in tones and, and finding, but he also doesn't take things too seriously. Like we just throw something on the record that, and it doesn't really matter what it is as long as it sounds cool, you know, and it's not like overthought
0: it's funny when we do tracks and we talk about like the the dynamics of songwriting and things like that it's one of the things that i think perhaps gets lost is like it feels like the studio vibe on this record was fun
1: yeah we um we got back to a lot of um the silliness and laughing and people will hear the record and there's a certain point where it's just it goes over the edge of just you know, you can't take this too seriously. Right. And it's got to be fun. You got to want to be there. And Joe is one of those guys that he's there hours before you are. And he's there hours after you are. And, um, he's putting in all this work and things that sometimes you're like, Hey, dude, you don't need to mix that tonight. Or you don't need to edit that tonight. And then you'll get like an email at like 4am. And it's like, dude, he's been there all night. And then like, then, you're like, then he's like, well, what time are you guys going in today? And it's like, well, we'll be in there at like 12 or 2 o'clock. And he's like, okay, I'm getting in there at 9. And it's like, he's just a workhorse, right? And he loves it. It's like, it's not like he we're making him be there. It's just like everyone's having fun and you're in there um, enjoying it. But he's a guy that, you know, he makes it fun because everyone wants to be there. And everyone's enjoying the artistic output. He doesn't mess with us on songwriting and stuff like that. But he will push us further and further to make sure things are sonically the something that he can put a stamp on which I appreciate
0: Yeah, it feels like the mad scientist side of Joe is particularly useful on a record like Life Is But A Dream because it feels like there's a lot of capturing moods and ideas with songs as opposed to just like, here's the riff Brian wrote.
1: Yeah, oh, totally. And it's a lot of it is, um, you know, you write something that you think is a good song, but then a lot of it now is like, okay, well, make some notes and we know that we're going to go in there and really feel this thing out. And, you know, cause if you think about it, you know, we use different drum sets on most of the songs or we had different um ideas tonally how we wanted them to sound. But when we're demoing them, you know, we're just using one of those electric drum kits and they all, everything sounds the same. So at some point you go in there and go, okay, well easier. We want like a modern Zeppelin. We want it like to have this, but almost like this reverse sucking like feel on the kick drum and we want all these, but you got to go in there and you got to like nail that, but you have no reference. And you got to know that you're not going to sample these things out and you got to get the right thing. So you want someone like Joe in there that is literally going to tweak those drums, but also be able to make a decision, you know, cause there are producers that will take a week to get a drum tone, you know, and they can't like decide on it and it becomes this sort of tug and pull Joe will make a decision and he'll go, that's it. That's that's good, and we'll just
0: go. You mentioned easier, and I guess one of the ways that there's that cultural musical exchange is I think. Like people have always, anytime the word Kanye comes up, like it's like throwing a toaster in the bathtub, right? Like the reaction is extreme. When you're taking something like that concept and a song like that to Joe, how how forgive the pun, but like how easy does it come together? Because this is a there's there there is not a song in the Avenged Back catalog like that song.
1: Yeah, um, I mean we had been. We'd been showing him stuff off of the St. Pablo record uh, heavily on the stage. And I think he appreciated the, the things that we were pulling out of it, like how Kanye was doing certain things. And, you know, and at the end of the day, you take something like Hold My Liquor on Yeezus, and if you go and see the making of that record, all those guys were influenced by Queen. And they were talking about how they wanted dueling guitars like Queen. And so their interpretation was wrapped up in a way and when you listen to like something like Kids See Ghosts or like Ghost Town, which heavily influences Easier, that's being heavily influenced by this R and B sort of culture that came way before Kanye. So it's like, but seeing how he wrapped it up with this modern, you know, rap, and then we're taking it and and r- wrapping our own thing around it with a vocoder and. <laughs> you know like video game noises and all sorts of stuff and a
0: straight a straight 4-4 beat as well it's like a straight as straight a rock beat as you can get but with all of those things around it
1: Kanye is a perfect example of taking a million things and, and making it his own. And I feel like that's what we want to be as a master of our own craft of taking a million things and making it our own. But someone like that the influences there because he does it in a way that is so tasteful always to us. And so I think Joe appreciates that, like where you add the 808s or where you add the low end or where you add like the bizarre different vocal change or this or that. And so when you bring it to Joe, he's not looking at it as anything other than sonically. He's hearing things that we're hearing, you know, and he's going, okay, like I see what we're trying to do. And then, and then we'll like kind of pull it apart and go like, well, why does that hit so hard? Or why does that hit so hard? And we'll start kind of going through like 808 warfare and like trying to make our own 808s and manipulating them so that we can kind of match tones with big hip hop records. Well, why do rock 808s not hit as hard? Well, we kind of take their libraries and see what they're doing. Whenever you give Joe a challenge like that, I think he's more interested in not where it came from, but more, you know, it's a challenge. Like yeah. what are they doing? here? You know? And I think they had sick drums on kids. See ghosts. Like they, and it's funny. Cause I was actually talking to Pete Wentz about this where I was in a meeting that Pete Wentz was in and we were talking about, should kids see ghosts be nominated for a rock crammy? And Pete once said he talked to Kid Cudi and he's like, Kid Cudi was saying that was them trying to be Led Zeppelin. So that was their interpretation of Led Zeppelin drums. Yeah. And we all have interpretations of a Led Zeppelin drum. So the further you dig deep into this stuff, everyone's kind of borrowing from each other and trying to put their own spin on, you know, what the people that came before us did, but you, and you twist it in this modern way. And hopefully we did that with easier but I think that's where those guys were coming from. You know, Queen and Led Zeppelin are an influence on these hip hop records.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Like if if you didn't hear, it's so funny. There was a weekend in London where the Friday I saw black Sabbath, the Saturday I was lucky enough to be golden circle for Kanye West. And the Sunday I saw Metallica. It's a decent weekend, but like, What hit me about Black Skinhead and that intro is it's like Sepultura when when those tribal drums go. Like it's that same thing, like the hat on my head. I was so close to the speaker that the hat on my head was reverberating at at the opening of it. And that's that's the same power that any rock fan can relate to.
1: Jesus is a heavy metal record. All those songs hit so hard and you see all the that that culture has embraced mosh pits they've embraced insanity at their shows and it's uh, it's interesting because we think it's so many worlds apart but it's really not Black Sabbath Metallica and Kanye seem like to me that all fits together there's yeah, no yeah. power big riffs
0: I have to talk about the four part song that ends the record. But like, I kind of don't really know where to start with it because so much happens within it. On part one on G, the lead riff. When you go to Joe, or when that, how does that idea formulate, and how does he bring it into being?
1: We go in there with a lot of ideas of how we're going to execute this stuff, and we bring it to Joe, and we kind of say, "This is what we're looking to do." And and, and by the way, there's definitely pushback between him and Brian on things because Joe, like Joe, doesn't want to use the fractal, right? Like Joe doesn't want to use these manipulated guitar tones. So the compromise really is that. Brian's going to run them through real amps. Joe's going to modulate their own, and he's going to record versions of it that are more authentic and versions of it that are more digital. And then they're going to find a common ground, which I think is smart, right? And so something like that, that was kind of the same as like a, a more melodic, softer version of the nobody tone. With a little more, I guess, air being pushed through the amp, a little more of that, Kids see ghosts feel like from easier, but also having like this bizarre digital effect that we felt felt very modern, uh, Zappa. And then um, and then we just, you know, we started digging into like what's this song about, you know, and G is about, you know, this God character, you know, the original G. And he's like super bummed on the people that he created. But when you look at G-O-D as a whole we felt that some of those vibes might lose their welcome if they've stayed too long. So the idea was taken from Sicko Mode by Travis Scott, where there's it's like three songs in one, where as soon as you think the song's going to start, Drake has this, this line, and then all of a sudden it kicks into something else, right? Yeah. And we wanted to do that, but more dramatically, where it was like like 70s rock, Zappa, Stevie Wonder-esque, and then it jumps into like more Stevie, but Daft Punk-esque, And then it gets into like the Sinatra feel, but drastic feelings of shifting, but never letting anything overstay its welcome. Right. And that was the idea of like these kind of, I guess, bite-sized versions of songs that we've never done. But when you bring something like that to Joe, I think he's just excited because it's a trip, right? He's like, okay, we're going to get a 78 piece orchestra for this little bite-sized thing. It's like, yes. And then we're going to, you know, do all these things. We're going to go all in on all these ideas. Because, yeah, we could record an eight-minute song of each of those things, but isn't it cool that we're taking, like, two and a half minutes of each of them and just putting them in? A... So it's just, like, an overarching um, vibe that we're trying to to take on, but also take the time to make sure every single thing authentically feels right. And Joe, he loves that stuff. I mean, you bring him something weird, he reacts to that more than he reacts to if you give him a rock song. He's just going to hit you up and go, like, that's rad. Like, do more of that. He says... Um, I'm saving this for my solo record. It's like a a, a famous thing he says in there. And that's always the super weird stuff that even we aren't going to go there. But he basically takes it and puts it on the side and he goes, saving that for my solo record. So he likes the weird stuff.
0: the song death nah. to write a song like that and to include a song like that on an avenged record is um is one of my favorite things about your band is how fearless you are and to attempt it is one thing but to pull it off to the standard that that song is is fucking magic when you have the ambition to write a song like that um how does it differ from say anything else because again this is something so different to anything we've heard from you before
1: um you know a lot of times i think things fall into place and they're not so easily planned um i think we had a lot of tidbits and things that weren't going to make songs i know o was a perfect example of that and it was longer right it was like it may have been a part of cosmic or it may have been a part of something else and I know that we wanted to, like, so I'm taking you way back. I know we yeah. wanted to, do like, a, you're searching for things that inspire you. And we were listening to a lot of Zappa. And we were like, maybe a zappa S song. And they are like, yeah, it just gets a little proggy and a little down that rabbit hole. And then on the other side, we had this beautiful acoustic song, which was mm-hmm. Death. But then one day, you know, so we have all these ideas floating. But none of them are an idea for one song yet, right? They're all just kind of you're kind of always searching for how does this going to happen? And one day we were um, in Palm desert with the families and we put on the wizard of Oz for the kids and all the adults were watching it. You know, me and Brian and, and our, and you know, our families. And, and we were like, wizard of Oz, like this music's beautiful and it's so like colorful and eccentric. And we're like, what if we turned D at the time was not called D or death. It was just, acoustic song what if we turn that into more of like a um wizard of oz type of orchestration with like the the flurries and the and the the magical sort of nature of it and then as we wrote that we said well we want it like you know then then the idea comes together well at some point it was like well let's take these ideas like the zappa thing would be cool but not a full song like maybe two verses and then take this little part that we like on this and we make it three songs and we make the, and then it just becomes like a, like almost like a, just a puzzle and you're putting things together. And the whole idea, the whole time was sporadic left turns. And then we're, you know, you got the whole Travis Scott thing where you're like, we want three things. I think there was three other things that were in there at once. And then these kind of fit together in a more dramatic way. And then, and then you get at the end, we're like, well, what if it was like kind of like right of spring where the end just got into bad notes and it started getting really uncomfortable and, and building it. So then, you know, now you've got like a mission statement. Like, okay, now I've got it. Like, we've got a part that works in the middle. Like, let's make that other song in the beginning, but not too long. Almost like a game show, like God's playing game show host. And then, you know, um, I think one of the lines we used to have before we had the lyrics finished was like, is that your final answer? You know, sort of like... This <laughs> yeah. Sure about- And, uh, you know, like, you know, it was like, is that your final answer? Like for, we were pulling it from uh, who wants to be a millionaire or whatever. And so, you know, it just goes through all these iterations until you finally settle on it and you feel like it's right. Um, so I don't really have a good answer other than anyone that, you know, that's creative knows that these things are just kind of, you have all these elements and then it's like, well, what are you going to do with them? You know? And then, then you have to mold them to fit this sort of narrative that you're trying to accomplish. And that's, god is a perfect example of that just no clue until you had a clue
0: we spoke about it on the nobody episode of tracks when you were like we had to ask members of the orchestra to play wrong notes and it was so alien to them is that where it exists is it on d is it on death yeah it's at the end
1: of at the end of death there was we were having them slowly start getting out and um they stopped a few times. They're like, okay, is this right? You know, we're like, yeah, it's right. And they're like, oh, okay. And um,
0: <laughs> you very, know, I mean, very not- polite and diplomatic of them going, are you sure, lads? <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. And I think, you know, I think honestly they've played stuff like that before. They're just probably not used to, like they might get something like that from like a John Williams or someone that's going in there and, and they understand that these are, I can see them going in there with a rock band and thinking, okay, these guys there's some mistakes here like why would they be doing this on a rock record right it's not like they've never heard anything like that or
0: that's interesting you know, but, yeah. but i think
1: they're just checking going okay like you know are you, you sure you don't
0: know. want to just do the linear rock thing
1: yeah you sure yeah. you don't just want the good notes yeah <laughs> yeah so um and so i think it was just them kind of checking up on us because it just seemed a little like why are you guys doing that you know
0: The title track was the main thing I took away on the first listen. It was like, I cannot believe that the band I saw with fucking Send More Paramedics at the Underworld back on Waking the Fallen fights outside the crowbar and all the rest of it have produced one of the most stunningly beautiful bits of orchestral instrumental music that anyone who has ears will hear. Can I ask you about the journey to that? Because I know that this was a, a big thing for Brian in particular.
1: Yeah, it was super simple. Um, Brian uh, wrote it on MIDI when my first son was born, River, 10 years ago. And, um, you know, it was the first kid we had in our group. And he'd written this song and he sent it to me probably like a year or two later. And I listened to it every night. Like, I loved it. And this was like, just like MIDI version. You know, he wrote it on the computer like moving the notes around. And I just thought it was incredible. And when the idea that the the record just started falling off the rails pretty quickly, right? It was like, okay. And by the way, there was bigger things on the record that it could have made all these ambitious, crazy parts less um, noticeable because there'd be more of the, the rock or the longer, bigger songs. And then like these things would, but we felt that if you kind of took those things out more and more, it made these other crazy parts even more wild because it was like nonstop, right? Craziness. And once it started falling off the rails of G O D was going to end this record, I was like, dude, we should put the song you did for river at the very end of the record. Cause it's like the end of life purpose, meaning, meaninglessness or whatever it is, or your meaning or whatever you want to be. I was like, this reminds me of like that scene in the shining when, when Jack's talking to, you know, the ghost of the past inside that bar and everyone's in there and there's like a party dancing in, but it's like, it's like all the murderers and the things that had happened before. And I was like, this, this feels like end of life. It feels epic. And I think he was like, maybe kind of, you know, let's, let's see. Um, we sent it to Joe. Joe loved it, and and then Joe, while we're recording, he's like, "Hey, you know, it would be even better is if you learned how to play this and recorded it yourself." And and at first, it was kind of like laughed off, like Brian's not a pianist, he's not trained at any of that. Um, But then Brian's like, "Okay, I'll, I'll maybe I'll like take a look at it." And he ended up like waking up every morning for quite a few months. I don't know exactly how long it was. It could have been six months, eight months, could have been a year. And he'd just wake up and start learning parts. And by the end of it, Joe came over to his house and and literally mic'd up the piano at his house so he felt comfortable and, and he played it. And, you know, you could feel, you can hear his foot in the recording. You can, it's like all real. And it was crazy because it was like I was so proud of him. And it was weird because it was one of those things where the rest of the band wasn't really privy to it because it's something we were, it was like a family thing, like, Like for my kid, and and it wasn't something we were like sending the band, like, oh, look at this. Is um, but I remember when we decided on the idea and we went in and Andy Wallace was mixing it, and there wasn't much to mix. You just have to kind of just get the compression right and the tones, and it's just a piano track. But I remember Zach sitting there and he's like, I'm so glad we're ending the record like this because not only is the record crazy, but this is a perfect way to end a crazy record by a piano part that goes on way too long. <laughs> and I was like, that's that's brilliant. And um, he's like, no, it's the perfect thing because you're already saying what the fuck, but there's no bigger what the fuck. Because the whole time you're probably sitting there going like, well, when's something going to kick in? Like, what is the point of this? But I think it also stands that when you understand it, it's not a, a gimmick. It's like, Once you understand it, you're like, oh, this is actually really nice. This is, this is cool. I did Chris Jericho's podcast and he was like, so why did you do that at the end? I was like, well, what do you mean? He's like, uh, I mean, just why? (laughs) I'm like, I'm like, it's a perfect question. I don't know. I mean, it just felt like the end of life. It felt like the end of a story. And, and if you play it all together and it starts back into game over, it actually, starts back very nicely and kind of has this metaphor for, you know, there is no beginning and there's no end. And so, yeah, it's a long answer, but it's, I loved it. That's the real answer is I loved it.
0: Thanks again to Matt. Of course, you can see him on tour. Make sure you go and check out the tour dates. See when the life is but a dream tour is coming to your town and check out the merch a7xworld.com. Next up, One of the greatest minds working in music today. He's a very unassuming man, but I'm allowed to say that sort of thing about him. His work producing the likes of Queens of the Stone Age and particularly his work with Tool has been on an absolute another level. And um, Clutch and the Melvins and Caius and all kinds of amazing work. And of course... His brilliant work our life is but a dream this is a really special chat Joe doesn't talk very often it's an honor to have him on the show so no more bullshit from me the one and only Mr Evil Joe Barese.
2: I mean I you know when people ask me what it's like I say it's got everything from Frank Zappa to Frank Sinatra I mean it really is you know it's a, it's a insane body of work if you analyze every little piece of whatever's going on in there you'll find influences from Judy Garland, Star Trek, uh d Antwoord, uh you know, um Daft Punk, uh Kanye West, I mean, but but it's incredibly musical, you know, and and that's I don't know, you know, you're ever, you ever listening to a band band's progress when you listen to, you know, the body of a band's material whether it be a metal band like Van Halen or Scorpions or or whatever. And and these guys, you know, they, as you get older, they raise the bar for themselves too. And I mean, the end of the record is a piece that Brian wrote for Matt's kid. I was like, you have to play this, man. And he played it, kicked his family out one weekend. And my, my assistant and I drove down there and we set some mics up. And I mean, just that alone blew my mind. The, the writing of it blew my mind. Yeah. But the playing of it blew my mind also because yeah. you know, that, that dude's an unstoppable musician.
0: I, I mean, it's it's funny, like we, like the show that we put together, we delve into the back catalogue and tell the story of each song. And something that I was perfectly aware of before starting this project with the band is I, I think they're far more avant-garde as a musical group than people give them credit for. Oh, and. Yeah. And like that has been the case up to now, but life is but a dream extends that like hyper extends that oh, yeah,
2: yeah. 10 records in one.
0: Yeah. And this is also what I wanted to ask you is like, does it require an open mind to be involved in a record like this? Cause it involves such non-traditional thinking on all fronts.
2: You know, I mean the only open mind is what am I going to learn at this point? Cause those guys are they're on a whole nother level, you know, I mean, in the end, like what a what a producer or an engineer does is or a mixer or whatever is to try to preserve what the band actually wants and whatever that takes. And the fact that these guys don't settle and they push you and they have ideas that are interesting and they they're honestly they're so they're so genuinely in love with music. That nothing else really matters. I mean, that's the only way I can really explain it. You know, I mean, I I can explain it in many other ways, too. You know, I drove down to Costa Mesa, you know, for three months, and I'm sure I complained every single day about the traffic. And those guys drove up every day and never once said anything about traffic. You know what I mean? Like, to them, being able to make music and do what they do, and and every day they would come to you. I mean, you can see it, you know, when somebody goes, hey, man, check this out, and they play something for you, and they're like, incredibly like stoked that something else like check this out and the base on this and why is this and 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 so i mean every day was an adventure in the end a true artist has to keep themselves happy And, and and that's really you know, testing themselves and pushing themselves to the limits and the writing and the rehearsing and, you know, bringing up Brooks coming in and adding a whole nother dimension to the writing and the playing and then pushing him to the limit, you know, what can you do? And he's like, I can do this. And they're like, awesome, you know, and then we can write this. And then what else? You know, it's just, it's crazy to see it all go down. Actually, it's, it's a pretty phenomenal and the, and the string arrangements. I mean, that shit is unbelievable.
0: It's wild. Like we, the, the the episode we just did, obviously was on nobody. And the the thing that I think is remarkable about what Brooks does on that song to be able to keep that groove, to make it keep feeling mechanical and Teutonic, but to play with the fills and those sort of sporadic jazz style fills that he throws oh, yeah. in there. Like he's
2: reading the paper. You're just like, you know, <laughs> yes. he's like sitting there playing, and you're thinking, is this guy like even, you know, is he even sweating? pretty nuts to watch it all happen and 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 you know and honestly there's there's no fixing in any of this stuff it's played which is a refreshing i mean you can tell some Mm. morons on the internet are gonna go oh my god i can hear it's grid edited." you know they hear that stuff in acdc or tool they're like you know but it's it's, there is no grid editing there is this is a musician playing with another musician playing with another musician listening to other musicians as you put your parts down it's there's no, none of that uh, there's no cut and paste happening here all those vocals were sung they weren't flown yeah. the guitar solos were played it's it's uh, it's actually quite inspiring
0: When you mention about it not being computer driven and those kind of things, to people that might not know, what is it about using something that's real and organic and human that matters against? Like there's there's many different ways to skin a cat, but why does it matter for Avenged?
2: There, there are elements of stuff where you know maybe the viola line isn't possible to be played that way, and and that's the one instance where maybe something you know. There's always the thing, yeah. okay. There's some real keyboards on it, but you know what, maybe the software part is sounds just as good or better, or this is what we're looking for. So it really is a fusion. But to me, the the I mean, the ability to be able to do it, you know, monetarily is one thing as well. Yeah, yeah. But it's it's how records were made. You know, I mean, I think when you have the same everything, the same plug-in, the same sample library the same you know keyboard to trigger stuff and you tend to you know i mean there's there's no nuances and 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 software has gotten better believe me i'm not just an anti-digital guy ever but there's something about human beings interacting with each other and the, the realness of stuff i mean there, there are some digital things on the record and there's a lot of analog things on the record and, and there's a marriage of all of it to me just tools in the end but yeah the real really kind of preserves the test of time as well. When you yeah. hear you know something that's real, it doesn't date it, and it just, it just sounds natural like an old friend, like your favorite T-shirt or something, you know? And there's something to be said about enjoying it as a body of work, too. That's the other thing. I agree, yeah. This is a body of work. It needs to be listened top to bottom. And if you've got that time to, to go through those songs in that order, by the time you hit the end, you're going to need a moment to recoup.
0: they sent me Nobody before I'd heard the record. And I was literally like, where the fuck do we start with this? I laughed when the marching band kicked in oh. because, it was, because it was purely just in terms of like the fearlessness of what was possible. And to add to that,
2: like leaning your shoulder into that groove is wild. The guitar sound intro alone. <laughs> yeah. You know, I've seen so many inter- little YouTubes and Instagrams on how to do it. But the bottom line is it's an ominous it's well, you know, it's an ominous no choice, but the sound of it is so forward, the forward thinking. Yeah. And Brian, you know, is a, he's a he likes to tweak stuff and he likes to create and he came up with that at home. We we augmented a little bit the studio, but we could have just used a demo at that point, it was so good.
0: they 're famous but they don't look to a lot of outside help for their work and you're someone that that has their trust in that way with them coming to you with unconventional ideas like you say it's ominous is there a lot of that unconventional thinking and thinking outside the box with sound on this record yeah. Oh, yeah. And, I mean... in, and in what ways uh like without wanting to like get the magician to tell you tricks?
2: would you say i mean i'm always willing to disclose everything but i mean for them since they do a fair, fair bit of pre-production and writing at home it's it's already pretty detailed using sound in unconventional ways with plugins and things like that and you know and and programmable guitar stuff and so then then they come to me and then I'm, I'm the old guy so you know i think the generation gap between us they're like oh here's a tape machine and here's how do you get that kind of sound? And then um, and they they can obviously get it with a within a computer. And I just go well. In the back of my day, well, Sonny, back in my day, we used to do it like this, you know. And I bring that that element to it. And then there's a marriage of the two. So um, there's stuff on here that's just I mean, there's you know, there's vocoding, there's talk boxes, there's uh, you know, I just that that inspired me to build a talk box, and that got me to go back further into looking at something called a sauna box, which is, you know, when the talk box was really invented, is like 1939, honestly, and no one really knows that. I didn't even know it until <laughs> I started. Jeff Beck died. I built a, what he called a bag, you know, a talk box element inside a bag, which allows you not to just have to go to a microphone and put your mouth on a tube, but you can actually put the tube in your mouth and move in and out, which gives you that dynamic. You know, there's, there's all kinds of... Uh, <laughs> I I don't even I don't even I mean, we we've I had a, you know, a couple different like odd microphones for Matt to sing through and I mean, the conventionality of of singing through a little PA mic and putting a, a cup like a solo cup around it. I did this on the tool record on the talk box to make it a little more, you know, louder and kind of more controlled. So he's singing into a mic with a cup on his mouth. I mean, you know, there's so many odd things going on. And also this, the style of the vocal on a song might be a little more soft here. Let's put the microphone. That looks like something that Bing Crosby would, have, you know, played or sang through or Frank Sinatra uh-huh. would have sang through. And that kind of inspires you to react. those sorts of ways too i mean we had some background singers in and uh some girls and i was like it had a very specific sound i'm like well i'm not gonna mic it up with something kind of cool and modern i'm gonna (laughs) try to make it sound like 1970s stevie wonder or whatever you know i mean that's what they're looking for i'm that's what i'm and i'm old enough to know like what do we what do we use here so
1: way back in until we meet again into that good night none too far as we chase through the stars beyond forever I'll follow you
0: Through talking to the band about this record and living with it for a while, it feels like there's a lot of creating moods and ideas through sound, as opposed to hey, maybe do F sharp there. there. Is is that a fair interpretation?
2: Yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, I, I mean, the thing about music to me is music is passion. You know, it really is like it, it's a it's something that should make you want to rewind and put it on again. You know, what is that? And or if you listen to something, I'm and and actually Andy Wallace called after he f- finished mixing a song, and he was like, "Man, this was so emotional. This song that I, I shed a tear after I heard it." And I was like, "Well, then the, the mission is accomplished. You know, those guys have yeah. achieved that moment of emotion that a person felt just by listening to a song. Which is that's that's the whole thing."
0: That Kanye influence is sometimes very like apparent, and is very much so on easier with that kind of vocodery effect. It's funny that it goes into a dime bag groove that kind of fuels the song. We we can see the wealth of bands that you work with, but there's no one that
2: particularly approaches that zone. No, I mean, I, I mean, I find it challenging, honestly. I mean, because I don't religiously put Kanye on. I don't put real, I mean, I listened to Daft Punk when it came out. I've listened to a lot of stuff that influences those guys, but there's a lot of stuff that they bring to the table where I'm just like, I never even heard of this band. So, but to me, it's not really, it's not really my job to, to say yay or nay. I mean, my job is to like, let's, this is what you want. Let's do the greatest interpretation of what you want. Maybe in the end, you're like, maybe it needs to come back a little or whatever. But but usually, my you know, my job is a, how do I make your job easier? And and whether that be, you know, I mean, you, you know, you're influenced by with your performance by it, what you're hearing. So that's the other thing. If strapping on something and singing through an odd mic makes you sing in a way that you're trying to portray, then that's better than, you know, trying to put it on after the fact. And those guys are yeah. really, I mean, they're pros and they've made so many records already in there. You know, and they have fun. That's the other thing, you know. So it's it's a lot of times you're under pressure making a record. But I don't think these guys ever didn't feel really any pressure until there was maybe a due date or whatever. You know, yeah. To finally be done. Or, you know, we're trying to figure out when Andy could mix it, when Bob Ludwig could master it. And I don't know. I We just had yeah. a lot of fun. It was odd because it was during COVID as well, which made life a little weird. But it, sometimes yeah. when you have a little break like that in between bits of recording, you can actually sit there and listen and focus and and then you come in more, you know, focused. Yeah. This needs to be changed. This could be way better. This is amazing. Maybe we should double it or, you know, let's add something here or whatever. So stuff happens for a reason.
0: Yeah. You you mentioned fun there and they're fun to work with. It's funny. I I, I spoke to Matt on the phone and he, he answered the phone one day, like uh, about, about fifteen months ago, say, I phoned him and he answered the phone laughing, and I was like, "What are you laughing at?" He went, "I've just recorded a new part for our new record. It's so stupid. You're gonna love it." Right, right. <laughs> like it's a as someone that's worked with them on two records now. What are they like to work with as people? They're so
2: nice. I mean, you know, there's a lot of bands that are nice, but there's bands that you know there's always the the one sometimes or there's always you know you have to yeah. you know this is this is not like first of all it's not brain surgery so no one's dying if you make a mistake um they like to enjoy themselves and have fun making music which is kind of like i said it's like almost childlike they're still you know they're they're still growing and still having fun doing it. There's a lot of jadedness out there, myself included sometimes, you know, just, you know, it's, it's tough to always maintain this uh, smile, you know, it could be a, a you know weird day or, but you know, in the end, they, they're so, they're very respectful and they're so nice when you, when you finish a part and you see that little bit of smile or you, Sometimes you just push them to the limit, and something happens, and they're like, "I didn't think I could do that," or "This is really great," you know, or whatever. I mean, it's and some and they push me to the limit also a lot of times, you know. It's just this is not, you know, yeah, whatever, dude. That's whatever <laughs> mediocre, you know. We need to, it needs to be like this though, and then they'll put some reference on. I'm like, oh my god, what is this now? I'm now I've got to figure out a whole new way of doing it in my world, and maybe figure out how to do it in their world, and then maybe marry them together. Who knows? But. Yeah. It
0: definitely keeps you on your toes. Yeah, I don't I don't feel anything makes your point quite as emphatically as the four track opus the that, that ends this record, the kind of God in life is but a dream. Um like I just I have to ask uh, a couple of things. Um, one is that the the first part of it has like a riff that feels like it could bring down a skyscraper, and like these weird Satriani freakouts. And there's a bit that kind of conjures a part of what Danny Elfman does on the Simpsons theme music. It is so wild, and that's one part of this four part.
2: Seventies Stevie Wonder is kind of what it started out as, maybe Frank Zappa ish. Yeah. You know? So I I was able to call like my friend Joe Ciccarelli, who actually did some Zappa records, and go, hey, what did you do on some of these records for the vocals? Because back then it was like there was no plugins. There were those guys were making sounds with acoustic instruments, you know. So, and I'm I'm well versed in doing some odd stuff when you're making records, but it's always nice to know, okay. We love this flanger or we used to use a lot of tape delay or we had a machine that was broken or we used this particular piece of gear. So I would kind of research some of this stuff and just like, you know, instead of instead of the easy way out and put a doubler plug-in in the Pro Tools, I would go, let's run it through here and tweak it while you're doing your thing or whatever. I mean, it's so that that's the beginning of it. And then you get into a whole nother area, then you go into this grand area and then you finish it off with uh with Chopin or whatever you call yeah.
0: it yeah have you ever worked on a track like the death part of this with the that's the Sinatra style singing and like it no. it's, so it's, can, can I ask about that track specifically because it's just it's so wild for any band to have done it let alone a band that no one's expecting this for Avenged Sevenfold. I give them all the credit in the world, and I, I admire their archery always, and I didn't know they had this in their locker. What was it like as a song to work on?
2: They had a really good emulation of it going already. The demo is phenomenal, and the programming of the timpani and the string parts and everything, just that was already beyond anything one could ask for you could have just used it we ended up putting real stuff on there but you know that's that's an occasion where i put a different type of microphone in front of matt this is something that's more of a ribbon very smooth and this is what frank might have sung through and that puts you in a place to sing the song and deliver it like that you know and i'm always constantly borrowing stuff and checking stuff out too so i'm like hey let's, let's try a few things out and at some point, you put it down, and those guys are willing to do anything. There's a lot of times where you know you're working with the band, and you have to get what you got because you're not going to get any more. But with those guys, you could spend a whole day doing a part, and then realize, well, you know, it's amazing, but the sound's not good. Sorry, and Man. they'll be totally fine coming in and do it again. They don't care, you know. It's just they learn something that day. So, um, but yeah, that that song, the the scope of that song is. It's just unbelievable. Yeah. It really yeah. is a moment, and you'll notice how things just build and how, you know, the imperfections in it actually make it even more massive and real. And then the vocal delivery, I mean, is one of the best, you know, you would never know what was going to come out of him like that. And then, no, God, no, no. When Andy mixed it, I was like, that is one of the greatest vocal sounds I've ever heard, man. It's really phenomenal. In
1: my- my face, put my bedroom back in its place, and tucked away
2: Me, like music in general, especially right now, is so homogenized that you put on you hear a song and you're like, okay, whatever sounds like something else I've heard a million times, and the next song. And sometimes you don't even make it to the chorus because everything's exactly the same. It's the same vocal sound, it's the same. And to me, I'm like, there's nothing like that on this record whatsoever. I mean, it's if you have uh, if you have any breath in your you know, your body. And you put one of these songs on, you might actually have to pause it when the song's done before you hit the next song, just to absorb what the fuck just happened. You're going to listen to this record, you know, a dozen times before you might even actually grasp what's going on. And then you're going to want to listen to it a dozen more times because then shit's going to pop out that you've never heard before. But to me, it's just it, it is uh, it's almost like a lifetime's worth of writing and music in one spot i mean it's it's to me it's on a level of so many records that you know i mean there's there's nothing that i've ever worked on that is this broad and but still musical you know i mean you put 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 and cohesive as well yeah
0: it's not doing it for the sake of doing it like it throws you all over the place but it never especially once you get used to those twists and turns once you've lived with the record for a bit like it's not unknowing it's not just random
2: and that's that really is them. It's not like it was like designed after the fact. It really was in the, the demoing process and the songwriting process. And and it was part of the concept that they already had in their head. And they have bionic memories. That's the other thing. I mean, to me, I, I hear so much music and there's so much scatterness going on in my brain. And part of it's because I'm old and part of it's because I'm looking at tracks. I'm looking at what's this hat doing right here? And sounds and panning and all this stuff. But they, they're like, oh, in this part we had this planned and this, this has to go with this here and this is hearkening to this here. And that's because they demoed it all and they've got it up in their brain. And this is, the body of work came out of their beings and it was kind of laid out. We just had to put it down for good.
0: Incredible stuff from the one and only Joe Beresi. Do go and check out Life Is But A Dream. I don't even believe I have to say that. You've listened to Life Is But A Dream. Keep streaming it. You've got to see it live. Honestly, the LA show was mind-blowing, and that's just night one of the tour. When they're in their groove, this is going to be even more special. Enjoy the show if it's coming to a town near you. I have been Bees. They have been Avenged Sevenfold. Make sure you subscribe to the show, and I'll see you next time on another episode of Tracks. Give me a give me the button.